So a bad guy beats up his old lady and the cops are called and they come and they haul his butt to jail. And maybe there's a criminal case that's filed by the state. Uh, maybe there's a divorce case that's ultimately filed uh, by the uh, wife or the uh, significant other. But the real problem is, is that uh, bad guy is going to bail out in the morning. And when he has uh, had time to sober up, he's either going to be really sorry about what he did, or he's going to be really pissed. And he's going to be headed back home to finish what he started. And the question is, is there a mechanism in the legal field that can protect the victim in this circumstance? Well, you're going to find out in today's episode of Lawyer Up. Welcome back. My name is Joshua Roberts, attorney at law, and you are watching Lawyer Up. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about orders of protection. What are they? Who can file them? What kind of relief is available? And then I'm going to take you and walk you through step by step from the point of filing an order of protection all the way through a court hearing on the various steps and the things that happen uh, during the process when you file for an order of protection. If you enjoy today's video, hit that like button. If you want to learn more about the law, subscribe to the channel. We try to upload at least one video a week on a legal topic relevant to you. If you have a question or you have a comment, put it in the comments below. And as always, share me on social media. And remember, I am a lawyer, but I am not your lawyer. If you need advice specific to your legal situation, you should lawyer up with an attorney in your area. And when we're talking about orders of protection, it's really a subset of the area of domestic violence. Uh, and it's one of the tools that the legal community uses to try to combat uh, domestic violence in the United States. Now, traditionally, there are, of course, criminal courts. And when somebody assaults somebody, uh, they can have a case filed against them in criminal court. Uh, there's also remedies that are in divorce court or family law court, where people can file for divorce, uh, custody visitation issues, child support, property. I've got videos on all those topics that you'll also find on this Lawyer Up channel. But those types of cases, criminal cases or divorce cases, they take a long time. Uh, the legal community realized that uh, we need a mechanism to protect victims of domestic violence that is immediate. I mean, this guy is getting out. Uh, he's probably going to get out in less than 24 hours and he may be uh, thinking about revenge. So the legal community needed a mechanism to protect victims in this circumstance. Such was born the order of protection. Now, statistically, 75% of these orders of protection are filed by women against men. Now, I appreciate there are same-sex contexts where it can be man versus man or woman versus woman. I also understand there are circumstances where the uh, woman is really, really big, uh, the man is really, really small, they both drink five quarts of whiskey a day, and she beats on him. So I appreciate that there are scenarios where women are the uh, primary physical aggressor. Uh, however, most of the time, 
It's us men who are the bad guys. Let's face it. So when I'm talking today about victims, I may use the word her uh, or petitioner. Uh, and when I'm talking about uh, the assailants, the abusers, I'll use the word respondents and probably call them the guy or mans. Listen, I understand that it's not always that way. However, it is most of the time. So what is an order of protection? Well, an order of protection is simply a order issued by a judge that restrains an abuser and protects a victim um, from abusive contact uh, by the respondent. And this can include uh, offensive contact either by uh, communicating in person or by text message. This definitely includes abusive physical behavior. It can include uh, prohibitions against stalking, uh, going to that individual's home, work, or school, and other extended uh, prohibitions of behavior. Now, all 50 states have some form of an order of protection to protect victims of domestic violence. Now, from state to state, the burden of proof may vary. Uh, in a couple of states, actually, the burden of proof is put on the respondent or the abuser to prove that the abuse didn't happen, which is kind of counterintuitive, but that's the law in Colorado and Hawaii. States also have different remedies available, but we're gonna be talking about the things that are fairly common in all 50 states. And I should note that these types of orders of protection, they're available for adults, and they're also available for children. Uh, it's a slightly different uh, legal process when it involves a child uh, because they will have a guardian ad litem or an attorney appointed by the court for them. But this type of protection is available for both adults and children. So who can file for an order of protection? Well, number one, it's victims of domestic violence. And this includes family or household members who were or are related by blood or marriage. And this is family, right? It also includes individuals who were or are involved in an intimate relationship. Uh, and this is the boyfriend-girlfriend stuff. And it finally involves uh, people who have a child together. Essentially, it's designed for people who uh, can't get away from each other, whether you live together as husband and wife or boyfriend, girlfriend, or have a child together and you're gonna have to have continued contact with the abusive individual. It's not designed for just the run-of-the-mill uh, criminal assault. Uh, you get punched in the nose by a stranger in a bar. Uh, you're not entitled to an order of protection. Uh, the courts say, well, you know, that'll get sorted out in criminal court. We don't need some sort of an immediate action to keep you two apart. You don't live together. You don't have a child together. So there's really no reason for you to get back together again. So it's not designed for those types of circumstances. However, there are other uh, areas where the law has been extended uh, where you don't have to be a family or household member. Uh, these cases are your stalking cases and your sexual abuse cases. Uh, fairly early on, uh, there were a series of cases where basically TV personalities or stars were being stalked and some of them sexually assaulted by fanatical fans. And the law said, well, wait a minute, even though there's not a familiar relationship there, we need to extend the law to protect these people and these situations. So you're also entitled to an order of protection, even if it's not against a family or household member, if, it, if the case involves stalking or some sort of sexual abuse. The next question is, where do you file an order of protection? Well, you simply file it at the local courthouse. And it can be the county where the victim lives, it can be the county where the abuser lives, or the county of the abuse, where the abuse occurred. Any of those places are appropriate to file 
for an order of protection. And most courts have a pre-printed form uh, for the victim. You just simply uh, fill in the information about yourself and the abuser, some of the details of the abuse, which we'll go through in more detail uh, later on in this video, uh, but it's a pre-printed form and you just kind of check boxes and fill in some information about the abuse that occurred. There are no filing fees in most states. Uh, the clerks of the court will help uh, victims fill these out and no attorney is required. Now, sometimes people will hire an attorney, but it's designed such that you would not have to have an attorney to be protected under the law. So next, what kind of help is available under an order of protection? Well, the purpose of the orders of protection are to, and I'll read it from the statute, to prohibit the respondent from abusing, molesting, stalking, communicating with, or disturbing the peace of the petitioner, and also from going to the petitioner's home, school, or workplace, or near the petitioner. And often this is articulated by the respondent can't go within a thousand feet of where the petitioner is located. Now there's some other remedies that are also available in certain circumstances. And this can involve the return of property. It can involve custody, visitation, and child support issues. Uh, those are issues that are tackled by courts sometimes when we're dealing with orders of protection. So now we're gonna walk through the exact steps of filing an order of protection and going to court and seeking a full order of protection against an abuser. And again, the laws are different in every state. The forms uh, are different in every state. So if you need advice specific to your legal situation, you should lawyer up with an attorney in your area. Now, after we have an incident of domestic abuse, the first thing that generally happens is that the abused party or the victim will fill out a petition uh, requesting an order of protection. And when you're filling out this petition, you're gonna put in all your identifiers, your name, your address, uh, those types of things. Now, if it's important that your address be protected and not revealed to the abuser, there's usually a box you can check where the court clerks will protect that address. You're also gonna put in all the identifying information of the respondent or the abuser. Uh, and there's some descriptors that go in there. Usually, of course, it's gonna be uh, their name, their address, where they work, but they also want, lots of times, they'll want their height and their weight and a little more descriptions about that particular individual. And then there'll be a section where you describe the abuse. Uh, and it's usually a small box. You can add a page if you want to, but you wanna keep this concise. So it's important that you include the most recent incident of abuse and that you include the most violent instance of abuse. Uh, the abuse may have gone on for years, uh, but you're not gonna have the attention of the judge for that long. So you wanna put in significant facts, those that are the most recent and those that are the most serious. And then you can put in a general statement or two about the abuse uh, having gone on for a period of time, if that's applicable. You also wanna be specific. You don't wanna say, he hurt me. You wanna say exactly how he did. He pushed you down on the bed, he choked you, he slapped you. Be specific with your descriptions of the abuse that occurred. You also want to describe and document any injuries. If you have some bruising or some cuts or scrapes, take a photograph of that. If there are medical records, uh, you'll wanna get a copy of those. Uh, maybe there are uh, police reports, you'd wanna have a copy of that as well because you wanna use anything you can to verify and document that the abuse occurred. And last but not least, you wanna tell the judge why you're afraid now. 
uh, when the judges are looking at these things to get an immediate temporary order of protection, there has to be an imminent danger to you. So if you say, well, my boyfriend abused me two years ago, uh, that's probably not going to get you a temporary or an immediate order of protection. Uh, so you need to tell the judge why you're fearful and why you think harm is imminent uh, and the need for the order of protection. And last but not least, you want to attach any paper exhibits that you have. Those photographs we talked about, maybe there's some screenshots of some angry text messages, uh, medical reports. You want to attach those as exhibits to your petition so the judge can see those when he reviews it. Step two is filing the complaint with the court. And the clerks will help you with this. They'll prepare what's called a summons. Uh, and they'll also assist with getting that document served on the respondent or the abusing party. Step three is that the judge will review this petition for an order of protection. And this happens very quickly. Sometimes the abuse occurs on a Saturday night uh, when the courts are closed, but normally there'll be a judge on call. And sometimes they'll just email this document to him or take a picture of it and send it to his phone. I've seen that before, uh, where the judge will take a look at the petition, uh, the judge on call, and make a determination as to whether an immediate order of protection uh, is necessary. And they'll do this sometimes in the middle of the night on the weekend. And the importance of that is that you're not going to get to talk to the judge. He's only going to, and I say he, it can be a she, and a lot of times the judges today are she's that will look at this. Uh, so I'm a little sexist, so, you know, we'll get through it. Uh, but anyway, the judge will look at uh, this particular petition and what you've written in there. Uh, and that particular judge isn't going to talk to you. They aren't going to uh, call you. They're going to base their decision on what's in the petition. So you want to put the most important things in that petition for the judge to review. Step four is that the judge will essentially set a court date and make a decision as to whether a temporary and an immediate order of protection is necessary. Now, as a side note, in the United States, we have this thing called due process, which says that ordinarily uh, an individual is not going to be subject to a court's order uh, unless they have received notice of the same. However, there are exceptions, and in this particular case with orders of protection, uh, that is one of the exceptions, where exigent circumstances or emergency circumstances warrant uh, issuing an order without formal notice to the other party and without their opportunity to respond. And this is referred to as an ex parte order of protection, uh, which means that the other party has not had notice prior to it being entered. Now, there are a lot of people out there that just, they substitute the two. They say an ex parte is the same thing as an order of protection. Well, it's not. They are two different things. Uh, ex parte refers to how an order of protection might be issued uh, without notice. Um, and it's not the same thing as an order of protection, but a lot of people kind of use those terms interchangeably. So if a judge finds that there is an imminent danger, they will issue a temporary order of protection ex parte or immediately and without notice to the abuser. And these temporary orders are good until the court hearing. The judge will also set a court hearing and these usually occur very fast. 
In Missouri, we usually have these hearings within 15 days. Other states takes a little bit longer, but these are quick hearings uh, so that the person can be served and that party has an opportunity to come in and you know defend themselves if that's what they choose to do. Step five is service of this petition and the summons on the abusing party. Uh, and that can be done with the sheriff. Uh, there's also special process servers, but they take that information and they serve it upon the respondent in the case. And then step six, that's the court date. That's where the respondent will come to court uh, and the judge makes a determination as to whether a full order of protection should issue, a long-term order of protection, as opposed to the temporary or the ex parte order of protection that was issued from the date that they, they saw the petition and signed it up until the point of the court here. And so usually at the court date, these order of protection cases are resolved in one of four ways. Uh, one of them is the uh, no-show. If uh, the petitioner doesn't show, and that's usually where there was some sort of a reconciliation, uh, the case will simply be dismissed. Sometimes the respondent doesn't show. And in that case, the order of protection will just simply be granted. Now, if both the petitioner and the respondent show up, then the respondent has a decision to make. Uh, one of the things they can do is consent to the order. This is called a consent order. Uh, in that case, the full order of protection is entered by the judge. Uh, the benefit of that to the respondent is that they are not admitting any wrongdoing whatsoever. They're simply saying, I consent to the entry of an order, and I'm not saying I did anything wrong. I'm just simply saying that I agree to stay away. And so in that set of circumstances, the full order gets granted, but the respondent is not admitting any wrongdoing. So that can't be used against him in the future in any type of a legal proceeding, uh, which is usually a divorce case or potentially a criminal case uh, against him for that activity. The last option is if the respondent shows up and says, I didn't do this. I'm not gonna agree to it. I'm not gonna consent. I want a trial. And then you have a trial where both parties have the opportunity to present evidence and the victim will usually testify as to what happened. Uh, they may call witnesses, could be police officers if they saw anything. Uh, they can present medical records, photographs, uh, screenshots of maybe uh, offensive or threatening emails, text messages, those types of things are traditional sources of evidence uh, at a trial for an order of protection. The respondent may say, I didn't do any of this stuff. I didn't have my phone. I didn't send that text message. I didn't touch her. Uh, we have security cameras at our house that can show it. And so all the different types of relevant evidence can come out at a trial for an order of protection. And then ultimately after hearing the evidence, uh, the judge rules and they rule on whether a full order of protection, and these usually last for a year, in some states they can last up to two years, uh, is appropriate. Uh, and these are renewable in most states. And the judge will also decide what types of conditions of that order of protection are appropriate. And I should mention that these are civil cases. They are not criminal cases. So the burden of proof is not beyond a reasonable doubt. It's simply a preponderance of the evidence. So if you're the victim, uh, you don't have to prove that the person did it beyond a reasonable doubt. It's just 51%, just more likely than not, uh, that the abuse occurred and the order will be entered. And I can tell you that judges err on the side of caution. Uh, they don't wanna have somebody come into their courtroom and say, hey, listen, I wanna be protected from this guy. And then they deny it. Uh, and then that person gets killed or something bad happens. That's how judges wind up on the news. And I can tell you, they don't like to be on the news. 
So generally, they will err on the side of caution in issuing orders of protection. And so, as I mentioned before, the full order of protection will generally order the respondent or prohibit them from, as I mentioned, abusing, molesting, stalking, communicating with, disturbing the peace of the petitioner, and also going to the petitioner's home, school, or work. And I should note now that the communication uh, prohibition is broad. A lot of people think, well, I can communicate with them on social media. I can still comment on their Facebook posts, or I'm going to send my buddy around to harass her. Uh, those forms of communication are also prohibited and will get you in trouble and will be a violation of the court order if you do those types of things. Now, as I mentioned, courts can get into property division. They can get into custody, visitation, and child support, but they don't like to do that. And the reason is, is that these orders of protection, they're only usually about a year long. Uh, so a child support order for a year is kind of useless. Uh, what judges prefer is that you go over and file a divorce or a paternity action or whatever you need to file in a family law setting that can divide property and that can issue uh, judgments as to custody, visitation, and child support that will go forward in perpetuity, uh, and you may need uh, an order for the next 18 years. Uh, that can't happen in the ex parte or the order of protection setting. So they generally would defer those issues to the divorce case or the family law case where those judges can make those types of determination. So that's the basic steps that you go through in seeking an order of protection. Now let me just make a few general comments about full orders of protection. Now generally in most states these are unilateral, uh, which means that they only go from A against B. Uh, a lot of times people will think, well, I can't communicate with her, but she can't communicate with me either. Now that's not the case. If it's a mutual fight uh, and A gets a, a restraining order against B, uh, for it to be mutual, B would have to file their own separate restraining order back against A. So these things are unilateral usually. There's a couple of states where if there's an order of protection against one, it prohibits communication either way. But that's not the, the case in the majority of states. Also, these are civil orders. They're not criminal orders, so it's not a criminal conviction. However, it is a court order, and if you violate it, that is a crime. The first time, it's usually considered a misdemeanor, and the second time, it's a felony, and they look to start locking people up for violating orders of protection. Third, I would tell you that a court order or an order of protection is simply a piece of paper. It's not going to stop a bullet. It's not going to stop a fist. So while it is a good step in protecting a victim, uh, a victim should realize that uh, these orders are violated all the time uh, and that you should have a safety plan. And that should be particular to your situation, whether that be installing security cameras or just parking in a well-lit area uh, or carrying mace or maybe you have a gun in your bedside table. That's up to you, but you should have a safety plan because orders of protection are violated by criminals all the time. And last but not least, people often ask me, is a person subject to an order of protection able to possess a firearm? And that is a very complicated question. Uh, the short answer is usually no. However, uh, it differs. Federal law generally prohibits a person that is uh, subject to an order of protection from carrying a firearm. However, it comes down to how the specific wording of the order reads, because there are exceptions under federal law which allow a person to still uh, have a firearm while under an order of protection. 
So if that's an issue relevant to your case, you should lawyer up with an attorney in your area to investigate that topic. So that's the episode on orders of protection. I hope you liked it. If you did, hit that like button. If you got something to say or a question, comment below. If you want to learn more about legal topics, subscribe to the channel. And as always, share me on social media. And last but not least, if you or a loved one is a victim of domestic violence, the National Domestic Violence Center can help. And the National Domestic Violence Center hotline number is 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 1-800-799-7233. Thank you for watching. I'm Joshua Roberts, and this has been Lawyer Up. Send lawyers, guns, and money. Dead, get me out of this